you'll open your Bibles this morning to uh, the book of Revelation chapter 1, we're not studying prophecy today so much. In fact, it's just the opposite. <laughs> but um, as you know, we have a prophecy series I started earlier this year uh, on various Sundays. And the last one will likely be the last Sunday of the month, New Year's Eve, will likely be the last one on, on prophecy. Um, and so we finished a series last week of just a three-part series about um, salvation and the new life in Christ and uh, we're beginning a series today that will probably be sprinkled over the coming um, uh, weeks and actually months. We're going to look today at um, uh, the series title is the Alpha and Omega, and we find it in Revelation 1.8. There are other places where, that, where Jesus' name Alpha and Omega is found also in Revelation, but we're going to look at chapter 1 and verse 8 this morning. And uh, we'll begin today uh, of a series of about six or seven messages that will go on into next year to um, his uh, trial and, and then the crucifixion and then, of course, resurrection. So this uh, series is called the Alpha and Omega, and it's about Jesus beginning today. We'll look at before uh, even the heaven and earth were created. We're going to look at that a little bit, and then we're going to talk about uh, Jesus, uh, of course, existence because he's God before um, everything else was created. So we'll look at that today uh, in this in this first message of this series. So this this series, like the prophecy one, will be kind of scattered out over uh, time. Uh, a lot of it due to to a theme and seasonal. So Revelation one and verse eight. Now this is not a PowerPoint message today, but I do have a lot of scripture. And uh, if you'd like to write it down, or if you'd like to go back and listen on our podcast um, to that. Um, by the way, real quick, I hate to break thought, but there is um, um, a box in the back. We have on our on our collection box back there um, uh, about a Bible question. If you have a Bible question, I've had two given to me, and neither of the people are here today. So we're going to hold off till they're here, and we'll try to answer those on another Sunday. But anyway... Um, if you'd like to put one of those back there in the box, it's it's uh, well, you can put it in the offering box or put it in the box that's up on the um, that's up at the uh, sound system. If you have a question um, that you'd like, and we'll try, to, I'll try to answer them uh, before the the uh, message. Anyway, let's uh, go back to our thought and chapter one of Revelation, verse number eight. This is uh, where. Jesus, the first thing he says directly to John, as John gives us an introduction, introduction to the first several verses of Revelation chapter 1, as to what it's about and why uh, the, the book is being written. And it says in verse number 8, Jesus speaking, if you have a red letter edition Bible, you see it in red, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is, which was, which is to come, the Almighty. So we know that he is the beginning of everything. He created everything. We'll see that today. Um, we'll talk about him uh, in this message today. As we study this and look at these messages over the weeks and months to come, of course, we'll look at it from the standpoint of God the Father, God the Holy Spirit also. But today we're focusing on uh, the three of them, especially upon Jesus before everything was made, everything was created. He said, I am the Alpha and Omega. Those are the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet and saying that I'm the very first and I'm the ending. I'm the one who began it all. I'm the one who will bring an ending to it all. And so we're, we're looking at him this morning um, beginning before creation. I'll give you some references, and some of them I'll ask you to turn if you'd like to, but some of them I'll just quote. I'll give you two right here I'll quote to you. Psalm chapter 90 and verse 2, and then the next one will be Isaiah 57 and verse 15. Psalm 90 and verse 2, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. So, 
uh, Jesus, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit has always existed. They are uh, the, what we call them the Trinity. They've always been God, always will be God. They were before anything was ever created. They will be uh, after this, this earth is destroyed and there's a new heaven and new earth. We'll get to that in the future. But Psalm 92 says, before anything. Here's another verse, Isaiah 57, verse 15. And it says this, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. Now the word eternal and the word everlasting are found several times in your Bible, but the only time, at least in King James, the word eternity is found in Isaiah 57, verse 15. And so we have um, a message at the end of the month, our last prophecy message, we'll be looking at this verse also. But it says, He inhabits eternity. That is, inhabit is where you, you stay, you remain somewhere. He's always been there, He'll always be there in eternity. He existed before time ever began. Look at... Um, well, let me, let me um, get to another verse here in just a moment. But ask yourself this, or think about this question. Have you ever wondered, really wondered about the way life was before you were even born, before it existed? Now, we have, we live in the 21st century. We have pictures and, and, and uh, maybe old home movies and those born more recently, video uh, and so forth. But you can see what life was like before you existed. But think about before anything was created, heaven and earth were ever created, Genesis 1-1. Uh, what was it like? What must it have been like? What could it have been like just thinking from that aspect? We look and see in pictures how people are dressed, how they behaved, um, places of interest. We can see all those things, but we can't see into eternity with our physical eyes. Uh, you can't really know what it was definitely like. Uh, we did not exist yet, just as before life started for us, we can only see pictures or, or, or video of some type to know what it was like. But we didn't experience that is the point I'm trying to make. So with that in mind, let's look at a couple of other verses. Uh, turn, if you will, to, over to um, the Gospel of John chapter 1 for just a moment. And as we do, we're going to see a little bit more about this. Let me read you a couple of more verses before we get to that. I'll be referring to these a little bit. John 17 and verse 5. The night that Jesus was betrayed, uh, and then, of course, um, he was with his disciples there. Judas had already left to go betray him. There he was in the Garden of Gethsemane praying with the disciples. And in his prayer to the Father, he said this, And now, O Father, glorify me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee, before the world was. So before everything was, before everything existed, Jesus, along with the Father and the Holy Spirit, were in their glory. In other words, they were what they've always been, what they'll always be. Nothing changed whenever God created everything as far as God's glory. He's always been God. He always will be God. Hebrews 1 verse 1 uh, says this, uh, or, or verse, excuse me, verse uh, 3 says this, God who has in these last days spoken unto us by His Son. So we see that uh, Jesus is the one who speaks to us through His Word. Uh, he speaks to us in these last days because He's always been. Look with me in John chapter 1, if you made your way there. We're going to look at the first couple of verses. We'll actually look at a couple of places here in John chapter 1. But as we make our way here, Remember, as I read this, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. What was the beginning? Well, it wasn't the beginning of God. It wasn't the beginning of eternity because God's always been. It was the beginning of what we know. 
It was the beginning of what has been created. John 1, look with me at verse number 1 and 2. In the beginning was the Word. Notice that's a capital W. In the Bible, when you see a capital W word, that's Jesus. The small W word is usually talking about the Word of God, the Bible, the Scripture. So in the beginning was the Word, uh, the wor- and the Word was with God. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Right out of the box, John lets us know in this gospel that he wrote, among other things we learn from him, is the fact that right straight out of the box, he lets us know that Jesus is indeed God. Now, we'll be looking at a study further about this later on, but we see that he um, makes sure and acknowledges in his gospel that Jesus is called the Word. He He was with God because he was God, was and is, still is, of course. So the first thing I want to see today, Jesus has always existed because he is God. He has always existed because He is God. We we use the word the Trinity. By the way, Trinity is not in the Bible, but I believe in the Trinity. The word rapture is not in the Bible. I believe in the rapture. Several words we use that are biblical doctrinal truths, that necessarily the word isn't necessarily there, but the truth is. And so God the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, Jesus Christ, and God the Holy Spirit, they've always existed. Because they are God. Jesus has always existed because He is God. They've always been. There's never a time that they were not. They exist on their own. They exist in their perfect glory, as we saw just a moment ago in in a couple of our opening verses. And they exist in perfect light. Skip down to verse 5 of of, uh, 4. And in Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. The Bible tells us in 1 John, the letter that John wrote, one of his letters, 1 John, in chapter 1, verse 5, that he, uh, in him is no darkness at all. So the darkness we see when we look out in space is a cushion, if you will, between us and God's throne in heaven. That darkness we call outer space is also, we'll look at this a little later too, also what we call the second heaven, the, and, and it's between us and God the Father. Uh, and so... Uh, his light is shielded because with our human eyes, we could not look upon him. Jesus said, no man has seen God at any time. We could not look upon God. We could not look upon the Trinity in all their glory with these human eyes. It would blind us. We couldn't take that light. He is light because he's holy. He's light because he's righteous. He's light because that is is his very very nature. So we see that um, he's always been. Let's look quick at a spoiler of a future a message. Go with me to chapter 8 of John. John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Now when Jesus was on earth, the sinners, most of them, he didn't have a problem with them. Many of them ended up believing on him. So, you know, they, they trusted him. Uh, he's In one of our songs we sing, he's a friend of sinners. He is. He's our, he's our friend. He saved us. And then he becomes more than our friend. He becomes our Savior. But he, he didn't have a problem with them. He had a problem with the religious people and one of which was a group of Pharisees. He had problems with them, and he would get in entanglements. John 8 is one of those places where he would get tangled up with them, and uh, they would accuse him of things falsely. Um, look at verse, pick up at verse John 8. Uh, let's, let's pick up at verse number 53. Here's the Pharisees talking. Art thou greater than our father Abraham, which is dead, and the prophets are dead? Whom makest thou thyself? So they ask him a question here. Now we'll come back to this in the future, but we will see today when you see the liberals and the atheists and the agnostics say Jesus never said he was God. We're going to see today this among other places. Yeah, he did. 
He made it very clear. Look what it says in verse 54. Jesus answered, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father that honoreth me, of whom you say that he is your God. In other words, he starts with what they already know and says, okay, you say God's your Father. And they claim that because they you know, claim the Old Testament and the law. He said, you say that God's your Father. Okay, God sent me. And he continues on verse 55. Yet you have not known him. But I know him, and if I should say I know him not, I shall be a liar like unto you. Imagine how hot those sandals got when they heard that. They probably didn't like that at all. But I know him and keep his saying. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Now how could that be? Let's look and see. Verse 57. They Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old, and thou hast seen Abraham. Jesus saith unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was... I am. They knew exactly what he was saying. You remember when Moses, God called Moses and he was traveling in the desert and all of a sudden there was this bush. Probably saw this bush many times in his life. The scripture doesn't say that he did or didn't, but he probably had seen it many times in his life. uh, There he is walking around in the desert and all of a sudden he looks and this bush was on fire, but it wasn't consumed. And out of that bush, God the Father spoke to him. And he tells him, this is what I want you to do. I want you to lead my people Israel. He said, who do I say sent me? God says, you tell them, I am that I am hath sent you. So when Jesus told them before Abraham was, because look at the context, he's talking about he lived before Abraham, was I am. They were infuriated. Because now it's out. He made a definite claim to them that he was God. How do we know that? Look at verse 59. Then they took up stones to cast at him. Why did they stone people in the Old Testament? One thing was adultery. They stoned people. But another thing that they would stone people for was for blasphemy. In their minds, he spoke blasphemy because he claimed to be who? You got it. He claimed right there. So don't let anyone fool you, Christian, to tell you that Jesus never claimed to be God. Here's one place right here. There are others, and we'll see those in the future. So he always existed because he's God. And he even told the Pharisees that, and they wanted to stone him to death for it. They didn't want to believe that he was indeed God and the Messiah that was sent by God. So that's the first thing. Let's move on. Number two, Jesus is the creator of the universe. Uh, Back up with me to the Old Testament book of Job, if you will. Jesus is the creator of the universe. You say, well, God created it. Yes, he did. He and Jesus created it. The Holy Spirit, they created it. Uh, The Bible says in uh, Genesis 1, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. The earth was without form and darkness, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And then it says, And the Spirit of God moved upon the waters. And so uh, Scripture makes it very clear that all three of them were there because all of them are God. And so we're focusing, concentrating today about Jesus being God. Um, Genesis 1-1, John 1-3, we read a while ago, all things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. We read verse 1 and 2, that's verse 3 of John 1. So He made everything. All things were made by Him. Go with me to Job 38, Job 38, verse 4, down through verse 7. This is where God is talking to Job. And remember, Job's friends tried to give him a lot of help, and a lot of it wasn't very helpful. But there were times where Job uh, had some conversations with God. And so God wanted him to get everything in perspective to see how powerful God is and just how, how minute, how small 
uh, Job and all of us are. And he says this in, in uh, chapter 38 of Job. Start with me at verse number 4. Where was thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. Who hath laid the measure thereof, if thou knowest? Or who hath stretched the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who hath laid the cornerstone thereof? When the morning stars sang together, and the sons of God shouted for joy. There the angels in heaven were rejoicing when the creation, when, when God created everything. And even before He uh, created everything, God was in His glory. But when He created the heaven and the earth, at that time He had created the angels. And they rejoiced to see that. It said that He laid the foundation of the earth. And when He did, everything was, was put, created and put in place. It says there that the sons of God, the... the, the um, um, morning stars, the sons of God, all sang together. And he created it all for his good pleasure. Leave Job, and if you'll follow with me back over to Revelation for just a moment. Revelation chapter 4, we were there a moment ago. Revelation chapter 4, and verse number 11. This time we're in chapter 4. So we see that he created everything. He existed before creation, and he uh, has always existed because he's God. He wasn't ever created he himself has always existed. He is the creator of the universe. And then in Romans, or excuse me, Revelation, get the right reference here, Revelation chapter 4, look with me at verse number 11. Here is worship going on in heaven. This is what things are going on now, and one day we'll be again, we'll continue to be, I should say. Revelation 4, verse 11. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all all things, and there's not a period there. What does he say after that? Why did he do it? And for thy pleasure, they are and were created. God created all of it for his pleasure. He created the angels that were there rejoicing when he created the heaven and the earth. He created them. He created the heaven and the earth. He created you and me. He made us, uh, starting with Adam, of course, he made us, Adam and Eve and all of mankind. Uh, he, he made us. He created us. He made us, and the Bible says he did it. For his own good pleasure because he wanted to he had the power to do it and that's one day he decided he wanted to i can't explain all of that i don't know why god certainly doesn't get lonely but he, he created us because he wanted us to have fellowship with him and he did it for his pleasure he wanted us to fellowship with him everything the earth the stars the solar systems the galaxies god just simply uh, created them all one day and and made all of it everything angels seraphim cherubim including lucifer who later fell um, God didn't make that choice. Lucifer did, but he created him. He was a created being as well. He created us to have fellowship with him. So he is the creator of the universe, and he did it because he had the power. He did it to have, for us to have fellowship with him from the practical standpoint of it. Next thing, let's see. Go with me to uh, the book of Titus chapter 1. Back up to your left. Titus chapter 1. And look with me uh, in verse number 2. Paul uh, writes a letter to this uh, man, Titus, who's a pastor, and he says this, Titus 1, verse 2, In hope of eternal life, which God, that cannot lie, promised before the world began. He promised eternal life before the world began. Now, God already knew that his creation would not be everything he intended them to be. He knew that mankind was going to fall into sin. He knew that Adam and Eve were going to fall into sin. He gave them the choice 
Wrong choice they made, but He gave them the choice. Because when He created us as human beings, He created us with a free will. And the Bible says that there that was in the hope of eternal life, which God, which cannot lie, He promised it before the world began. God had a plan in place for when His creation went bad, when His creation went wrong, when His creation disobeyed, when His creation... Um, um, uh, did what he said not to do, partake of the fruit of the tree, and plunge all of mankind into sin. God had a plan in place. Go with me back to Revelation. I know we've been everywhere today, but if you're turning with me, going back to Revelation, at least we're still in the New Testament, right? Revelation 13, here's something interesting, verse 8. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him. That's talking about the Antichrist, whose names are not written in the book of life of the life of, look at this, of the Lamb. That's Jesus we know, slain from the foundation of the world. God had a plan. This is number three. Jesus was always God's plan of salvation. He was always God's plan of salvation. Before even creation. It said the, the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. He's always been God's plan. God knew. God was at the throne, and when Adam and Eve sinned, he didn't panic and hit a panic button. He already knew, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to provide a way of redemption. I'm going to provide a way of salvation for my creatures, for my human beings, for those who fall. In fact, um, later on we'll see how because of the uh, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, uh, this whole planet is under a curse. One day that curse will be lifted and the whole planet will enjoy um, uh, newness again. So human beings would never come up with such a plan. Only God could come up with that. And he had that plan way, way back in what we call eternity past from our way of thinking of things. Way back in eternity past. People would try to form and fashion a plan that would be full of errors and holes. Humans are good at that. Um, the human plan of salvation would be with one of justice without mercy, of love without, uh, or excuse me, of law without grace, of peace without righteousness. And God knew that all of these elements had to come together when they came together on the cross. The human plan would be to work, work harder, try, try harder, do, keep doing. And it's not enough. There's never assurance. There's never rest. That is not God's plan. God's plan is His Son. Believe in my Son and what He did for you on the cross. That's eternal life. Just believing that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again, that's history. Believing He died, was buried, and rose again for you, that is salvation. You've got to trust Him personally. That is salvation. A human plan of salvation would be flawed. It would be flawed with favoritism. It would be flawed with pride, a disregard for truth, with partiality. But when it comes to salvation, God is no respecter of persons. He will save anybody. Jesus said, all who come to me. He said, He will save anyone. The same God who says that humans are sinners and that we deserve hell is the same God that says, you can approach me the same way, and that's through my sinless Son. That's how you approach me. It's through Him and Him alone. And so the same God who assures us no one deserves it, makes it plain, makes it clear that to all who receive it, they can have that assurance. He makes it available to them. So was Jesus just a religious leader? No. He offered much more than that. He came to offer what religion can't offer, and that's peace through a right, right relationship with God. Was he a good teacher? He certainly was a good teacher, but he was more than that. He had to be more than that, or his teachings would have been at best hollow and shallow and filled with empty words. If he would not indeed God that he claimed to be and go to the cross as he did for you and for me 
If he had not done that, all his teachings would have just been hollow. They would have been very shallow. Was he a good man? He was a good man, but he was much more than a good man. His goodness was because he's God. That's why he was good. Remember when the, the um, lawyer man asked him that time, he says, Good master, what should I do that I can hear eternal life? Jesus said, Why do you call me good? Was Jesus, was Jesus uh, denying being good? No. What he was saying is, if you're calling me good master, there's only one that's good that's God. So if you're calling me good master, put two and two together. See, Jesus claimed to be God more than once. We'll get to that in the future. But nevertheless, he certainly was more than a good man. Was he a moral man? No, he was better than that. He was perfect. He was sinless. Even at our best, the most moral of human beings are flawed and imperfect at best. Jesus was much, much more than that. Now, here's another thing. This is where it starts to get a little practical. Go over with me to the book of Colossians for a moment. Chapter 1, Colossians. This is the next thing we see. Because he's always existed, because he's God, he's the creator of everything. Here's something else that we see about him. Uh, Colossians 1, pick up at verse 16. We'll read verse 16 to 17. For by him were all things created. They're in heaven, they're in earth, visible and invisible. Whether they be thrones, or dominions, or principalities, or powers, all things were created by him and for him. We saw that a while ago where he said all things were for his pleasure. Verse 17, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. The third thing, Jesus holds everything together. He holds it all together. He created it. He's God. He has the power not only to create it, he has the power to hold it all together. He made it. He maintains it. He contains it. He keeps it. That's why, you know, as bad as things are in this world, um, it could be a lot worse. He's holding it all together. He's keeping it all together, keeping it from going worse than what it could be. And it could be much worse, uh, but he keeps it all together. He maintains it all. The elements, the molecules, the atoms, the cells, DNA, he holds all of that together because he created it. And by him all things consist, it says there in Colossians 1. And um, he, he tells us there that not only is he created for his pleasure, but he holds it all together. He does this by the power of his word. Hebrews 1 verse 3 tells us that, that he holds it together. And then let's see, let me get over here uh, to Hebrews 1. I better rely on what it says rather than my memory today. Hebrews 1 and verse number 3, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. And it says because of that, he, had sat, he himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He holds everything together, everything. Do you ask him to hold everything together in your life? Do you ever invite him to do that? There are times it feels like things are falling apart. Now, come on, folks, all of us feel that. I do a lot of times. We feel like things are falling apart. But he can hold it together. He will hold it together. Do you ask him to do that? Don't you want him to hold everything together in your life? He can do it. He has the power to do it. But, again, he gives us choices. Will we rely on him? Will we ask him to do that? If he can hold together uh, all this, he can keep together the things in your life and in mine. He can hold it all together. Jesus is a perfect gentleman. He'll never, ever impose himself on anyone. If we ask him to take care, we pray. That's why we pray. Lord, take control of this. Lord, I give you control of this. Because he knows as human beings, we like to take all that ourselves sometimes. We like to, to, to try to, to do it ourselves or run it ourselves. He can do it when we certainly are not able to. Or he'll give us the ability that we wouldn't have had without his with help and leadership. He'll gladly take care of what belongs to him. He'll take care of what we willingly give to him. 
he can hold it all together. Finally, if you're still at Colossians, one more verse there. We're in uh, chapter 1, verse 17. Colossians 1, and let's look at the next verse, verse number 18. Colossians 1, verse number 18. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Beginning. We saw that, didn't we? Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. He's the firstborn from the dead. Now, that doesn't mean he's the first person that ever rose from the dead. We know that because in the Old Testament, Elijah, remember, and Elisha performed some miracles. We know it because Jesus himself rose from people. But firstborn from the dead is a title of preeminence, is a title of, of who he is. It's a title of he is he's the, the uh, priority of it all. He's the one who's preeminent over it all. And, you know, you think about it, even the miracles that Elijah and Elisha and then in the New Testament, even Jesus and Paul and Peter, when they wrote, when people were risen from the, you know, when they rose from the dead because of their, you know, the ability God gave them. Just think about it, though. All of them eventually died. Did they not? Sure they did. You don't see them walking around anywhere. All of them eventually died. Jesus died once and for all. So because of that, he's given that title, the firstborn from the dead, once and for all, never again, that it says in the end of that verse that in all things he might have the preeminence. Everything. He deserves it all. He deserves it now. He's in heaven right now at the Father's right hand. He deserves the preeminence. We, we, should, we should show him our appreciation. We should thank him. We should glorify him in our lives as they were doing there in Revelation while ago, chapter 4, said they were worshiping Him. And then it said, Lord, You're worthy. You created all things. You're worthy. You created it for Your pleasure. He deserves that in our life. Um, that's not something we do one time in our life, though. It's, it's something we have to do over and over and over to allow Him. There are times where we're disobeying God. There's times where you may get away from God, and you have to realize, I need to let Him have the word there, preeminence. It's better than prominence. Prominence is something that you want to set up and look at and, and you know, nice to look at, um, nice to hold. If you break it, consider it sold. If you, you know, if you look at it or whatever, you, you give something a prominence. It's something nice to look at. Well, Jesus is much higher than that. He's to be given preeminence. He deserves it. Our world doesn't give it to him. Lost people don't give him that, but he deserves that. Um, this is something we should strive for all of our life. On any given day, it's possible to say, Lord, thank you, but even if you don't say it in your attitude, Lord, thank you, but I'll take it from here. That's when we get in trouble, isn't it? Sure it is. He deserves first place in our life. He deserves more uh, than just a place of prominence. He deserves preeminence. Is he your Savior? He wants you to be. Don't you want him to be? Don't you want to trust him? For your eternity. Don't you want to trust him to know sins forgiven? Don't you want to trust him to know a new life that he offers? I hope you've done that. If not, I hope you'll do that today. Don't you want him to be your savior? Are you serving him? Are you living for him? Are you following him? Jesus said, uh, come after me and I'll make you fishers of men. Jesus said, if you will follow me, Take up your cross daily and follow me. I mean, if you want to be my disciple, take up your cross daily and follow me. Not to be saved, but to be a disciple. He deserves first place in our life. He is our Savior. He does not deserve to be ignored. At this time of year, of, of, of any time, we should have you know, times of worship and thoughts and, and realize to not just as important as worship and glorifying Him, but to make it practical to realize He does deserve that in our life. Because He saved us. And because He saved us, He deserves our best in everything we do. He deserves all that because He's God. He created it all. 
He holds it all together, and He deserves that in our lives. Let's bow for prayer. Lord, I thank You today for each one here, for those visiting with us, for our home folks. And Lord, I know there's several who can't be here today. We miss them. But we thank You, Lord, for um, this Christmas season. Again, as we think today of our Savior and why He came, He left the glories of heaven. We can in our mind maybe think about what it must have been like before everything was created. You were there in Your glory. You were there in a in a light that the Bible says in 1 Timothy, no man can approach unto. We, we could never, ever approach into that light with these human eyes, these human bodies. But we thank you, Lord, that because you've saved us, one day we'll be in eternity with you. We'll be in a glorified body that can be in your presence. And we thank you for that, Lord. And I pray today if there's someone that's never placed their trust in Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, there's no better time than Christmas time to realize that that baby that was born came to be their Savior and we think about the fact He came as a baby, as, as we are born as babies, yet He was born um, as God in the flesh. But yet He took upon Himself a human body, as we'll look at in a future study. He, he took that upon Himself to become human, and yet God. He never stopped being God. He was always God and man. And it's just amazing, Lord. You call it the mystery of godliness. It's just amazing, Lord, that You left heaven to come down here and to, to, to live a life without sin, even when things were thrown at you many times uh, in, a, in, a, in a, almost a literal sense at times, but when they were thrown at you where accusations and hatred were thrown by the religious leaders that should have received you. Uh, Lord, to know that you left all of that knowing what you would face, and you did it because you love us. And Lord, that, that's the only explanation as to why you came. It's because you love us. And love us enough that you wanted to restore us in a right relationship with you because you made us. And we thank you for that today. And I pray, Lord, if there's someone that's never trusted Christ, they'll come to know him as their personal Savior. And I pray, Lord, today for those of us who are believers, may we reflect and think about that this time of year. That you do deserve our best, Lord, because we're saved. You deserve the very best that we can give you. And I pray today you'll encourage us with that and, and Lord, exhort us with that. Lord, give us a challenge that we need to, uh, in our life to, to do that very thing. I pray that you'll watch over us as we leave here today and pray that you'll keep us safe, Lord, uh, through the coming week. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and uh, we'll close in a chorus. What, what um, number, buddy?